we are, we are uh, transitioning into this, this season and this time of Advent. Uh, it, it is a, uh, a joyful time, a uh, time of celebration, but for some it's a, a time of uh, craziness. <laughs> for some it's a time of uh, sadness. Uh, there, there's a lot of emotions that, that swirl around uh, this season. Um, but I, I find that most of those are, uh, uh, those come into play when we allow the season to be hijacked from its, from its original intent, uh, from its original purpose, from its source. So we're going to look back um, at its source, and we're going to be in the book of John in the third chapter. The book of John in the third chapter. John chapter 3. And I will begin reading at verse 13. John chapter 3, and I'll begin reading at verse 13. It reads, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Uh, for your word. We thank you for this time, the gathering of your people, Lord. We pray uh, your blessings and grace on all that are gathered here, Lord. Uh, we pray for those, Lord, uh, uh, among us that are absent. Father, today we pray uh, your peace and your spirit be with them, Lord. Um, we pray, Lord, for uh, uh, grace, Lord, and a fresh anointing to uh, look uh, into your word and to have understanding, uh, to preach, Lord, to receive it, um, to carry it forward in our hearts, Lord. As let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, because, Lord, you're my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. For, for a large portion of my life, from my, my early teens into my, uh, my young adult years, I would receive a gift from my grandmother on Christmas. The same gift. Uh, the first few, few years, I rushed in to, to size up the package and tear it open and inspect it. Um, but after a while, I realized that it wasn't changing. It was the same gift every year. Uh, it was thermal underwear. 
It wasn't exactly the gift that a, a young man was looking for, but I, I started to realize something one year. I don't know if it was in my 20s, but one year I started to realize it may not have been the gift that I wanted, but in the cold Philadelphia winters, it was definitely the gift that I needed. I, I grew after a while to love and to start <clears throat> looking forward to her gift every year as the winter was setting in. Uh, Grandma was, was wise and, and, and loving enough to, to get me the gift I needed versus what I thought I wanted. In this season, how, how do we shift the craving of hearts for the commercial and counterfeit gifts of Christmas to the desire for the true gift, the chief gift, the one we all need, the one that no one can live without, God's gift of love. How do we make that shift? <clears throat> the bottom line is uh, the true gift of Christmas is Christ, Amen. period, full stop. <clears throat> well, John helps us here. Here in his gospel, John exposes the divine identity of Jesus through uh, miraculous signs recorded for the express purpose of folks believing in Christ and gaining life. In chapter 3, we come to one of the most familiar passages of scripture in the Bible, uh, verse 16. <clears throat> we could probably all recite it together there uh, uh, signs being held up in football stadiums across the country with John 3.16. Um, it, it's been called the gospel in a sentence. Um, the, danger, the danger is with such a familiar passage of scripture is to kind of drift through it and not uh, capture the intent of it. This John 3.16, the, the, this text flows out of a discussion between Jesus and one of the leading teachers in Israel, uh, Nicodemus. Jesus attempts to point and pull Nicodemus from his focus on earthly religious systems uh, to an understanding of heavenly things. The most necessary thing being how a person moves from a dying existence to a living existence, or being born again. Regardless of his status in Israel or what he may have possessed or what he may have known, he, Nicodemus, would need to understand and receive God's gift of love in Jesus Christ that would make this new life possible for him. What, what, what could this conversation about being born again and between Nicodemus and Jesus have to do with Christmas anyway. Let's examine and consider the, the gift of God that was revealed back then, but, but is still necessary now. Uh, you know how you, you, you may examine a gift or present or package. You take it into your hands. You look to see where, where it came from and who it's addressed to. And I've been having a good time with my wife when the packages come. I says, my name is on it. My name is on it. <laughs> Don't open that. We want to examine it. We, we want to we uh, take it into our hands. 
Listen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. First, first consider the, the origin of this gift. According to verse 13 that we read earlier, the gift has a heavenly origin. Uh, Jesus explains to Nicodemus that he is descending, descended from heaven. Um, but, but when Jesus says this, heaven is not to be taken like some people idolize the universe. It, it doesn't interact with people's lives or make decisions about them. It is the place that represents God's presence. It's made plain here in verse 16 that the actual origin of this gift is God. He is the only distributor of the gift. Uh, the gift proceeds from him. When, when it comes uh, to the source of the perfect gift, James helps us out, and he would warn against being pulled toward any imposters in your search for the perfect gift. James 1, 16 and 17 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He's also the divine cause. There, there's, he, there's no hint of the world deserving or requesting this act of God's giving. It is self-initiated. It, it's not given out of a, a, a feeling of obligation or tradition uh, that, that might plague some people today. Um, it, it issues directly out of God's undying love for the dying world. He reveals his character through the gift. John would write in, in 1 John 4 and 8 that God is love. God is love. And, and then in verse 9 that his love was made visible through the giving of this very gift, Jesus Christ. The source of this gift is God's pure, full strength, immeasurable love. The origin. But next, consider the nature of the gift. Examine it with me. What, what type of gift is this? Uh, we, we already recognize that coming from God, the gift is supernatural. Um, but we also see here that it's sacrificial. He is the sacrificial gift of God because his life would be laid down in place of others for sin. Sacrificial. Uh, uh, the word that, that, that's translated in, in verse 16 as gave uh, has the sense of uh, to sacrifice or to relinquish. Uh, so, so it's also the, the releasing or putting forward of something that has a cost to the giver. Um, the measure of that cost is, is, I think, understood well in the fact that the gift was one of a kind not only one of a kind, it was his one of a kind 
son, his only son. Um, the gift was matchless in value. There, there was a, a, a story told about a wealthy man who had one son, and the son died as a youth. Uh, although the rich man had many uh, famous works of art, Van Gogh, Picasso, Rembrandt, only a messy self-portrait that his son had painted as a little boy brought him any joy after his death. When he died, the man, his, his will dictated that the portrait of his son be auctioned off along with the other valuable pieces of art. Hundreds of people showed up to get a chance at winning the expensive art uh, uh, at a low price. And as the man wished, the auction began with the portrait of his son. While the auctioneer called out for bids on the painting of the sun, the people sat impatiently waiting for the high-value art. The auctioneer went on anyway. The sun, the sun, will anyone take the sun? The crowd began getting annoyed, yelling, bring out the Van Gogh. Just then, an old man held up his hand and offered $5, which was all that he had. He had served in the home, and he knew the father, and he cared about the son. Uh, when no one bid against him, the auctioneer called out, going once, going twice, sold. The crowd sat up ready now for the real art, but then the auctioneer put down the gavel and said that the auction was over. He explained to the confused and angry crowd that the man's will stated whoever got the son got the whole estate, including all of the art. It turns out that the son was more valuable than anyone realized. Just like many don't realize how valuable the gift of the son Jesus Christ is today. The value. And he's a one-of-a-kind gift. Although others are called son or sons of God in the scripture, the Bible makes clear for us that both here and in John chapter 1 that Jesus is the unique son. He's the only one who's been with the father since the beginning. Uh, he, he's, he's the one that shares all of his attributes and makes him perfectly known to the world. There's no one like him. Uh, after looking at the gift's origin and looking at the, the nature of the gift, we're examining it, then consider the scope of the gift. God, God doesn't make this valuable, one-of-a-kind, sacrificial gift available to only an exclusive group. The, the text says, whoever believes, who ever believes, this is when I like to revert to my King James, because I like whosoever. I like, I like whosoever, because I, when I hear whosoever, it makes me want to say you-soever, and you-soever, and you-soever. Who, who, whoever believes, this gift of God is unlimited in its reach. The, the, this might have been shocking to a teacher like Nicodemus, who thought God's gifts were reserved for the Jews. But it would have been good news to so many others. It would have been good news uh, there in Jerusalem. It would have been good news here 
and Wilmington. It's good news to the rich and the poor and the Gentile and the Jew and the female and the male, the young and the old. Whosoever would believe the gift is for them. At the same time, the gift is unlimited in its reach, but it's also limited. <laughs> it's limited to only those whosoever would believe in him. Did you get that? <laughs> it, it, it's, it's unlimited in its reach, but it's still limited because it's only to whosoever would believe in him. The gift, the gift. It, it, it doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room for, for all faiths being the same and, and leading to the same path. And it doesn't leave a, leave a lot of room. This gift is designated for only those whosoevers that would believe in him. Uh, to be clear, this, this believing in him is not a simple agreeing that a, uh, it's not a thing exists. Or, yeah, there was a Jesus, um, or, or, or that a statement is true. You know, I, I believe in the space shuttle, but I'm, I'm never going to be on it. And I'm not, yeah, I'm not going anywhere on the space shuttle. But I, I believe, but I'm never going to ride in it. This, this believing in, it, it, it's to have a, a continued, settled conviction about a truth, a, a, a conviction about something that shows up in your behavior. For, for example, most folks don't, don't give a chair a 10-point inspection before they sit down. <laughs> they, you believe that the chair is there to hold you and that it will hold you and you just sit. Unless you've had an incident with a chair, <laughs> then you may... Stay with me. But in the, same, in the same way, a person that has believed in Christ has shifted the weight of their life onto Christ and, and lives expectantly and confidently trusting that he will hold them under all circumstances of life, even up to and including and beyond death. Lastly, consider the, the impact of the gift. It, it has eternal consequences forever. Uh, 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 first, it's, it's life-saving. Belief in him means that you don't perish. It's life-saving. Uh, this becomes clearer when we consider uh, verses 14 and 15 that we read earlier and, and hear how Jesus is comparing God's act of salvation in the book of Numbers in the 21st chapter to what he, has, um, what he was doing then and there with, in giving Jesus Christ to the world. Um, speaking with Nicodemus, Jesus referred back to a time when the newly freed nation of Israel was unsatisfied with all that God had given them and done for them and, and complained about him and Moses in the wilderness, uh, saying, why were they brought out there to die by God and Moses? The Lord said, okay. He judged them and he sent poisonous snakes which began to bite and kill many of them. 
When the people acknowledged their wrong and requested Moses to ask God to take away the serpents, God instead made a way of overcoming the certain death that was caused by the snake bites. He didn't remove the serpents. He injected (laughs) a solution. He directed Moses to make a bronze serpent attached to a pole and, and, and raise it up. And then whoever was bitten was told to look at the bronze serpent and they would live. Jesus explained to Nicodemus in the same way he had to be lifted up both on the cross and and even later from the grave so that anyone who looked at him with faith, even though they were dying from the poison of sin, uh, they would live and not perish. It, it, It would take faith for someone dying from a snake bite to think they could look at a pole and, 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 and live, and that it would save them staring at a pole. And, and it would take faith for the world to believe that trusting in Jesus, who would be crucified and buried and resurrected, would be the only way for them to be saved. What I like about God is God is so good that he even provides the faith it takes to look up and gain salvation. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a a result of works, lest anyone would boast. Uh, I've mixed my ESV and my King James a little bit there, if you don't mind. Uh, God is good. He, He doesn't give us a gift without the batteries needed to make it work. Anybody had a Christmas morning like that? But not only only is the gift life-saving, it's also life-giving. The gift promises eternal life. Belief in him, receiving this gift, will allow the believer to grab hold of the eternal life of the joy of God's presence and begin increasingly experiencing it in the present. Uh, It is the opportunity to grab a hold of something that many people thought could only be future and start to hold it close to you. The gift provides a a different quality and quantity of life. It's eternal because it allows the believer to access access to the presence of God forever. Jesus was sharing in chapter 10 of John, verse 10, that he came to give access to abundant life. It's life where spiritual thirst and hunger are filled. Life where a life that's sustained by a connection with Christ, a life of, of growing deeper and deeper into relationship and intimacy with God. All through the book of John, he, he lays these things out, uh, the eternal life and what it brings. But another impact of this gift is that it keeps giving. It keeps giving. Not only does Christ 
give life and save life. He gives gifts that continue giving. He, 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 in, in, in Ephesians 4, he, it tells us, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he held a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Then he goes on in verse 11 and to let us know that he gave apostles, he, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to help prepare his people to live out their new life with him and grow to be more like him. He's a gift giving gifts. Hallelujah. He's a gift giving gifts. Lastly, the, the impact of the gift doesn't, doesn't leave any gray areas or room for, for wavering. It calls for a clear choice, and it leaves you in either one or two categories. Uh, it says, for, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The gift can't be ignored. People are already bitten by sin and being ruled over by death. It's their destination. But now that God has given his Son the, this gift of salvation, the antidote for death, people either receive him as the perfect gift or reject him and continue on the road that separates them from God forever. Knowing all of this, how could, how could anyone go back to uh, just Christmas as usual? Uh, being consumed with the commercial and counterfeit spirit of giving. It, it, knowing the gift of God, what a gift of, uh, that God has, has given all of us. What a gift. It's the, it's the outpouring of God's love toward our greatest need. What could replace it? I think the cry of the believer's heart throughout this season should be that like 2 Corinthians 9 and 15. Uh, Thanks be to God for his unspeakable inexpressible, indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for his gift of love in Jesus Christ. That should be the heart of the believer this season. So if you receive this gift, then we start to ask ourselves in this season as we examine it, what, what, what are we doing with it? So it's good to, it's good to celebrate and appreciate and enjoy the gift. It is 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 meant to be thoroughly enjoyed. God is no killjoy, but there's something more God wants us to do with His gift, and, and it's something that's taboo and it's frowned on in our in our society and our in our culture. But it's something that's expected and right in God's sight and His economy. Amen. We need to regift it. <laughs> We need to re-gift it. It's God's will that we would share the gift this season. Uh, 
avoid business as usual. And I, I would urge the church in this season to be re-gifting, looking for every opportunity to be re-gifting the gift of God's love that we received. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your inexpressible words, not being able to do it justice, immeasurable gift. We pray, Lord, that we would uh, carry it around, Lord, like a treasure, um, but not like misers, Lord, that we would be open and willing, Lord, to share and re-gift your gift uh, with those that may not have experienced it or received it yet. Uh, we know your gift is Jesus Christ. Uh, so we pray during this season uh, for authentic Christ, uh, Christmas, the spirit of Christmas to be moving in us um, and to be sharing and glorifying you, Lord, in the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.